0: y'all in the morning good night time for y'all go to bed finally we can go to sleep (laughs) see y'all in the morning on monday night when we were fast asleep john snyder pete carroll and russell wilson were sleepless in seattle finalizing a four-year 140 million dollar deal complete with a 65 million dollar signing bonus this is Aiden Waite and Big Red for a new episode of Hawk Talk. And today we're going to be covering Russell Wilson and, you know, the rest of the Seahawks contract uh, questions this offseason. But what are your thoughts on the uh, Russell Wilson deal? Oh, I mean, first of all, it's uh, it's great to be back on here doing another Hawk Talk.
1: I love doing our regular show, but talking Hawks is, it's, there, there may not be nothing better. Um, so right off the bat, I think, the initial reaction is all right. It's taken care of. We we got it done, regardless of what it was, whether we paid him thirty five or forty five. It was gonna kind of be, hey, we got it done. We have our franchise QB for the next four years. Um, honestly, I'm pretty pleased with it, and I think the way that it breaks down is ultimately gonna really. I, you're not gonna help the cap at thirty five million, but down the line, the Seahawks are gonna be in great shape because of the way that this deal was structured. Um, as you mentioned, uh, Russell, John, Pete. Mark Rogers, Russell's representative, sleepless in Seattle, literally staying right up to the end of that deadline. Um, I heard that it was at 1130, um, John Schneider presented the final offer to Mark Rogers. And about an hour later, uh, the deal was agreed upon, uh, 1230. And of course at 1245 AM we were witnessed or we witnessed the cringiest thing I've ever seen our robotic quarterback do, um, as DJ Fluker couldn't say without laughing, uh, go Hawks.
0: <laughs> uh, pretty wild. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm happy to get the deal done. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely happy to see Russell back. I, it, was, it was kind of a, a big question mark whether Russell wanted to be in Seattle. And me and you had a lot of conversation about you know trade scenarios, if that was the case. And honestly, it got to the point where I was kind of under the belief that Russell Wilson might not want to be here with the deadline and not really saying anything. The comments he made about uh, the Seahawks might not let me go. Just a, lo- a lot of questions, you know, and I, this is best case scenario for me. I think that if we let Russell walk, that's a uh, it's, it's a couple years without. Playoff berths and with Russell Wilson, I'm pretty confident that we get back to the playoffs next year. So definitely happy about the deal. I like the way that they structured it. I think that it was pretty ingenious, what what John Snyder was able to do. And I think that ultimately it gives us enough room to work and enough room to get, you know, some other guys back that we need if we're going to really, you know, take that next step as a team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that this is, as you mentioned, you and I had lots of talks about whether or not Russell wanted to be here. I mean, I, you and I almost got more like overly excited of this like perfect futuristic scenario where we traded Russ for three first round picks or whatever ridiculous price he deserves. And we turn it into the next Patrick Mahomes in this super franchise. And that was obviously best case scenario. And I had him signing the deal was best thing for the franchise, as you mentioned. Had we traded him, whether or not we did take the next Patrick Mahomes, we would still be kind of wallowing in the development of a younger quarterback, and maybe the gamble pays off, but you never know. So when you have a future Hall of Fame quarterback in on your roster under contract, you you maintain him, and that's it, it. Seems like from the aftermath of the negotiations, that's exactly what Russell Wilson wanted the entire time, uh, and it's exactly what. John Schneider and the Seahawks wanted the entire time. And it it, it it became pretty apparent to me after after the fact, um, listening to post-game interviews with John and reporters and with Russ, that Russell Wilson was really kind of just at the, the leeway of his agent. Uh, his agent absolutely looked at Russ and said, hey, I know you're not the kind of guy that is going to go out and kind of stir up dust, kick up rumors to try and pressure the Seahawks. But bear with me. Don't say anything. Be vague. When people ask you, don't confirm deny anything like that. And so that's why we didn't see a Russell Wilson just go out and completely deny the Giants rumors and all that, which seemed, based on everything he said since, to have really no base other than speculation. And I, I think the fact that they were able to get the deal done in their deadline and that John Schneider absolutely didn't view the deadline as like a power play. He was just like, great, this is a deadline to get it done. Let's do it. And they did it, and they paid him thirty five million. From what I understand, they've never had any intention of ever wanting to be on the franchise tag for Russ, and they were really gonna—they were prepared to pay him that highest value. And from the, from the very beginning, it was just a matter of hammering out specific details. And like Aiden said, those those specific details do lead to our roster having more flexibility. In signing players that are going to build a championship contender. I wouldn't exactly say looking at our team right now with a few question marks still there and Frank, uh, future extension to Bobby and then kind of the lack of adding secondary or defensive end help. I wouldn't say we're a championship roster right now. We're absolutely still in contention for a playoff berth. You, we, you said that as soon as we got Russell back, we're a playoff team again, basically. Uh, but lots of room to make improvements and, I mean, I, I guess my, my moving on question here for you, Aiden, is because this deal was so massive, uh, is there is there going to be ramifications for the roster on as a whole?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, with, with Russell's contract, um, it's looking like it's going to take about 18% of the cap. But, I mean, the Seahawks going into... That's still a small amount. Right, I mean, you, right. When you consider
1: $188 million cap, right. 18% is not a ton.
0: And uh, the Seahawks going into, what is it, 2020 have the second lowest payroll? 2020 and 2021,
1: they have the least
0: committed cap
1: space uh, behind only the Chargers.
0: Right. So there's, I mean, there's still a lot of flexibility there. You, you don't have, you know, the high paid secondary that we had a a few years back where you have, because I mean, in in that scenario, it would have been a little different, right? Because you would have had to pick and choose who you want to sign. So a lot more guys at that
1: point, we're freaking out here about three guys, right? Three dudes. Yes. They're dudes that are going to command massive, massive amounts of money at the top of their position, but three dudes, as opposed to when we had to do this five, six years ago and we signed what, eight dudes. Yeah. The whole L.O.B. Cliff, Michael, KJ, Bobby again, like the, us freaking out at three players, the more we look into it, it, seems way more overblown.
0: Yeah, I agree. And as John Snyder said, yeah, it's it's going to be hard to get those other deals done in reference to Clark and Wagner because, of course, that is a lot of money, especially with the pass rusher market and the linebacker market really spiking this uh, this offseason. So, you know, I, I'd still think that we got the room to uh, get it done, but... I would say of those two, Frank Clark, probably the more likely person to uh, possibly move on, be traded. I think that the Seahawks are going to retain Bobby Wagner. I think John Snyder alluded to that a little bit in that uh, post-signing interview with Russell. He mentioned Bobby a lot. Yeah, Pete and Bobby both
1: sounded really optimistic that a deal was going to get done. And right. I think that's, at least to me, that's kind of how it's been the whole way. Even if even if we let Russ go, I to me it was like, well, we're still going to sign Bobby I. had Bobby's twenty nine years old and the best linebacker in football.
0: Yeah. But uh let's uh let's dive into uh the Frank Clark situation with uh with Demarcus Lawrence getting what a five year, hundred million dollar deal that kind of raises the uh the pass rusher market even more than it already was. It was sitting right about eighteen million after the signings this offseason. But with that Demarcus Lawrence deal, now we're looking at possibly above 20 million for Frank Clark. And the reason why I believe it should be or will be above 20 million is because uh, Frank Clark has about 10 more sacks than DeMarcus Lawrence does in the last three years. So looking at that, if you're Frank Clark, you're thinking, okay, I've proven that I'm better than the highest paid guy right now at my position. So this is what I should be paid, and I I do think that he's he's right in thinking that. But again, it, it, that it'll create another interesting situation for the Seahawks. He's under franchise tag for seventeen point one million, and um, John Schneider didn't really think he's going to hold out. But I mean, that that is a question mark. You never know with these guys. It, m- money talks, and when the money's not there, you mean it, it's up to them, and that that's kind of been the uh, the trend in the NFL.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Seahawks are hurt a little bit by massive jumps in value in terms of cap for some of these positions. I mean, CJ Mosley jumping up in contract value, that wasn't really expected at all. And then to 20, 21 million is now the premium for an edge rusher. That's what we were paying our elite quarterbacks five years ago. Five years ago, you were paying an elite quarterback ex- like exactly what Frank Clark wants now. That sucks. <laughs> it really does. It's it, But it's a way the cap it's the way everything's gone and so there's not a whole lot you can do about it um, and it's a weird situation with Frank too we talked about this a while back it he was excited to sign the franchise tag he was excited to get his first real money 17 million and then somebody whispered in his ear you can get more Frank yeah and of course he's holding out now and like John Schneider I don't necessarily I don't I could see him holding out for part of maybe training camp or something, but I don't see Frank Clark before he signed his first contract extension being a dude that'll sit out further and take more fines. Earl Thomas had that luxury. Le'Veon Bell had that luxury of having already signed a somewhat of a contract extension. And so they can afford to miss out on 300000 or pay 500000 whatever it is. I don't think Frank's in a position to do that. I don't think he wants to do that to the team because I think he was affected by it when Earl did it, and I think that he was affected by it when Cam did it way back when. So I, I don't see Frank sitting out any games. I could see him coming back at the last minute and being kind of disheveled and upset about it, but I don't see him sitting out any games. I think Frank wants to play and he's going to play, and he wants to be a Seahawk. He just wants to be paid like the best pass rusher in football.
0: Right, and um, you know, there's been a lot of rumors. Frank Clark trade rumors and John Snyder, of course, saying, oh, we'll be we listening to trades on everyone. And yeah, that that is true, John. You may listen to trade offers on everybody, but this is more of a scenario where you may be, you know, in, interested in moving Frank Clark. The I, I'm sure the Seahawks or – they're asking price is probably – for a first round pick. I'm I, I'm not saying that that's what they'll get or that's what a team should offer, but that's probably about where the Seahawks have uh, that's what their asking price is and do you do you let Frank Clark go for a 2 knowing that you don't have a second round pick in this upcoming draft or, you know, what's that looking like? I think it's got to be a high second.
1: I think that the Seahawks are in an interesting position where they are probably looking to move Frank a little bit. It's weird coming off the arguably the best pass and season that the seahawks have had from a guy to then now we're trading him after franchising him and him wanting to be a huge part but but it's in a scenario it's the scenario that they're in because of the factors we've talked about a little bit and obviously the rise in player value and so i think that if you go for a second it's got to be a high second it's got to be it has to be a high second I think the Seahawks are probably looking late first. I'm not really sure if there's any teams that are in contention like that that are willing to part with a high first. Um, I think that I think we discussed this a little bit. I think that the closest thing that they will get is a high second, and I could see the Colts jumping on something like that, giving up the high second that they have from the Jets, which then doesn't really lose them a whole lot, and then a later pick for Frank. And so, I mean, ultimately, just like you mentioned, as pass rusher being in need, do we value that high second round pick or best case scenario early f- or late first as a position where we're going to get Frank Clark's replacement? Because that's what you're doing. You're you're just like when we moved on from Russell Wilson, the draft immediately becomes f- centered on f- that fixing that gap that we've left. And so Frank Clark's no different. He's our only real edge rusher. He's the best edge rusher we have. He's one of the best in the league. And so if you're going to move him, you have to be pretty sure that you're going to have your guy available at that high second. Um, because I do believe that Frank will play on the franchise tag eventually, and, and and it's going to kind of come down to how much are the Seahawks willing to sacrifice for picks for value that they may lose down the line.
0: Right. And that's it goes back to what you said about pass rusher already being a need. You lose Frank Clark, and now you not only have to fill – you know, one of those edge spots. There's nothing. Now, you have right. nothing. Yeah, now you have Jacob Martin and a hole, if if you, <laughs> if you consider Jacob Martin yeah. as your starter going into the year. But lucky for the Seahawks, I guess, this draft seems to be pretty, pretty packed with edge talent.
1: And I, I would say, like, lower down, too. Right. I, yeah. Like, the Seahawks got Frank Clark in the second round. Let's not forget that. Yeah. Uh, so I'd, trading into the second, there is going to be valuable edge talent. I think... Even uh, maybe if uh, Ja'Kai Polite, I, he's an athletic edge rusher. The Seahawks aren't afraid to turn those kind of guys into st- standing on two feet, you know. Mm-hmm. He's a little undersized, but I, that's the kind of dude that would be there later second round. Say something like that came up for a Frank Clark deal.
0: And it's, you know, you, you hope that you'd be able to solve the uh, the, the gaps through the draft but I mean look what happened with Malik McDowell you know there's just a lot of question marks when Things it comes to the draft right and with Frank you have that guarantee that you, you know what you're getting with Frank he's proved it and letting him go for a question mark it, it's not something that the Seahawks typically ha- do yeah right they, they don't typically give up something and trust the draft because the draft is more of them finding players that they think they can develop not guys that they are going to plug in right away that's what that's why you've seen them trade out of the first round for you know five of the last six years exactly yeah a lot because they they know that they like their guys and they want to get their guys and And they keep their guys right and so it's a
1: unique situation absolutely in this pete carroll john schneider era for sure
0: yeah so it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see what we do with clark um
1: but so i guess more off that you mentioned so obviously the seahawks normally retain their own people and quite frankly I'd love to see all three. I'd just love to see us find a way to keep all three of them. Structure the deals in the way like you did with Russell Wilson's to give him that sixty-five million dollar bonus that basically makes Russell Wilson earn eighty million dollars in one year, and then our cap's okay. If you can find some way to, I think that there's absolutely a way to get the Frank Clark deal done in the same way we got the Russell deal done with a lot of guarantees and upfront money. And as I we alluded to earlier, with six years ago when we did it with all the LOB. It's just three guys. John even said this after signing Russ. He was like, people were asking him, like, does this make it tougher to sign Bobby and Frank? And uh, John Schneider was straight up. He was like, yeah, it's tough. (laughs) Like, are you joking? Like, uh, we're signing three elite players of the position, top of the value. Of course, it's tough, but it's not like we haven't done it before. And it's not like we can't do it like there's lots of ways to be flexible and make something work and so basically john was like there's no reason why we can't we already have you just have to what he did say was you have to make a sacrifice somewhere else and as we talked about this back then it was the offensive line kind of with just this little side piece where would the seahawks sacrifice in the scenario that they signed bobby frank or i guess bobby and frank now that they already have russ under contract
0: yeah, that's a, that, that is a huge question, Mark, especially when you factor in Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright. So you know that you're not going to be giving anything up at the linebacker, linebacker position. Right? And you have Michael
1: Kendricks back, yeah, assuming
0: yeah. whatever plays out with his court deal and all that. Right. Um. But it's kind of weird to think about, but that spot may be defensive back. And that's something that... You would never unthinkable, right? Right, unthinkable for a Seattle Seahawks team, but, but Pete Carroll team. <laughs> yeah, but when you think about it, you have a lot of young guys in that secondary. It's kind of exactly what we're already doing, right? Yeah, you got Trey Flowers, Shaq Griffin, uh, you got Bradley McDougal, who's affordable, and Very you have uh, Delano Hill, Tedrick Thompson, guys that are still young, still still d- have potential. Right, like, guys, I'm not sold on by any means, but. <laughs> definitely have potential. Yeah. And so if I mean it all depends on how high Pete and John are on those guys, I think. Cuz those guys if if they're high on those guys like they've essentially spoken about for the last few years, I could see them just committing to them. Right, committing to them and that being the position where we don't spend, which is, is, is it's just it's baffle it baffles my mind to
1: think about but absolutely and I actually I really hadn't even considered that I, I was thinking wide receiver I was like we're gonna lose Doug he's the only decently sized wide receiver contract we have we have Tyler Lockett on a great deal I was thinking maybe build to the receivers because you don't necessarily believe that Russell Wilson needs elite receivers to be successful because he hasn't in the past but with that in mind it's literally already what the Seahawks are doing and by not signing any veteran free agent safeties which we kind of like maligned early and they were like come on like dude, just, like, just get, get one something like yeah. get, the, these dudes are signed, like but no it's exactly that might exactly be what they're doing and then they're gonna address it in the draft yep and if you keep all three of those guys then you still have an you still have elite talent at d-line and and you couple it, keeping frank clark turns our trajectories around a lot in my opinion because you get frank clark and um jaron reed Yep, two elite guys, and then we're and we'll have. I know we don't have a ton of picks, but there's still going to be opportunities to address the pass rush if we need. We're going to have a bunch of cap space next year. Why not wait and see what's maybe there? Maybe trade. All a lot of factors can come in, but you have elite talent at the quarterback position. You have elite talent at the running back position. You have elite talent at the linebacker position. Bradley McDougal is very good. A lot of young talent in the secondary. And so why, the the Seahawks probably trade back early in that first round, and I, I could easily see them taking a defensive back late first, early second, if they trade into that somehow, uh, or again later on addressing it just in depth later on. I mean, Shack was what a third round pick, and yep. Trey Flowers was fifth. Yeah, like the, it it, it yeah. converted safety. Yeah, I, I think that's probably where the Seahawks feel, or at least in that regard, they've looked at their mold. They've seen where their mold went wrong. Probably an offensive line and letting Russell just get beat up. And they say, okay, we'll give Dwayne Brown the money. We'll, get these, we'll give DJ Fluker the money. We'll get a good line. We'll protect our QB. And we'll let our defensive back mastermind, Pete Carroll, turn whatever bums we put uniforms on into elite talent in the secondary. And I, that's probably what they're banking on. And we'll see them addressed in the draft if they keep Frank Clark, at least in my eyes.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely see them either going defensive back or uh, actually wide receiver could could be a, a position that we address early on. I just on want in us draft. to get DK Metcalf. <laughs> oh, who, who doesn't want DK Metcalf? <laughs> All 32 teams. Yeah, exactly. But it's, you know, with, with Doug being a question mark, having, what, three surgeries now this yep. offseason, you know, he's you've heard the re- retirement rumors, not really knowing what is going on with Doug Baldwin and. In in my opinion, and in yours, I think as well, Doug Baldwin probably not coming back to Seattle when his deal's done. I think that he's going to be letting, he's going to be walking after that. As
1: much as I hate to say it, I mean, I think we talked about this like a couple weeks ago, and I was like, what? We're going to let, like, no way we'll let Dougie B go. And then you think about all the injuries, and you think about him about to get another contract extension, and probably what he's going to want at a higher age, and facing all these injuries, but he is, he's a great receiver. And we've talked about it on past shows. You can go back to how good, how much better the Seahawks offense is when Doug's on the, on the field. Um, But yeah, with age and everything, it's wide receivers, never been a position that's been a focal point in the John Schneider, Pete Carroll era. And I don't necessarily see them making it a focal point with a 32 year old Doug Baldwin. Right. Um, Yeah. So unfortunately as much as I love Doug, I, it, it may not be in the cards for him. I mean, we'll, we'll see how the season goes. I mean, if he tears it up, then all of a sudden it's kind of a new new light. Maybe he wants to stick around with the team as he's gotten paid and this and that. But I, as of right now, it kind of seems like Doug's probably on the way out.
0: Yeah. And, but with all the injuries, too, and you got to think about his his value is not at, a, at an all-time high right now. Yeah. So, And I'm sure that His Doug, own life value with all these injuries, too. That's where these rumors about retirement pop up. Right. And, and Doug is a smart guy. So I think that he's... A guy that, as we've seen with some other, you know, top NFL players like Patrick Willis, just saying, you know what? My body's had enough. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised if Doug Baldwin makes a move like that. I mean, I'd, I'd hate to see him go, whether it's walking or retiring, because I love Doug Baldwin. I'm a huge fan of him. Just a, He's just a grinder out there, and he finds ways to get open. And that's the type of receivers that the Seahawks need, because, well, at least they have needed, because there's been so many broken plays. Right. You need guys that are going to find space, come back to the ball, have good you know, chemistry with your quarterback. And yeah, it's you wouldn't think that the Seahawks would draft a wide receiver early, but everybody is assuming that they're going to go past rusher or DB, which makes me think <laughs> the Seahawks will do what no one expects them to do like they
1: always do. Yes. Unless it's trade back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah I, I honestly I'd love to see it. if there's there's a lot of receiver depth in this draft as well we mentioned uh edge rushers but there's a lot of receiving depth and I also wouldn't be surprised if the Seahawks walked away with wide receiver I would just be surprised if it was on day one yeah I agree with you
0: I think that they I mean they've never besides what Tyler Lockett was a i think he was a late second a late second right yeah right, that was paul richardson i'm pretty sure tyler lockett was third round yeah you're right you're right yeah p rich was about right at the end of the second round and gordon tate T- was second round yeah so you you haven't really seen them pick first round wide receivers and the receivers that they've drafted have all been pretty similar in size and and makeup and right general, yeah. yeah so i don't know i mean it's, it's weird they, they love big bodied receivers on like
1: undrafted free agents right. and like different obscure ways to get these dudes but
0: whenever they're drafting it's yeah we're going to take small speedy guys and it's it, it's it kind of baffles me because the Seahawks everybody since i mean for, since Russell Wilson was was drafted at least have said the Seahawks need a big target for Russell Wilson to throw to we tried to get yeah. Jimmy Graham in here that didn't work out but
1: so it, but the, like let me play off that it didn't work out in terms of translating to more wins and more offensive success, except for the fact that the last two years Russell threw like 22 touchdowns yeah. to Jimmy Graham. I, besides Doug Baldwin catching 14 that one year, tell me another Seahawks receiver that's even sniffed like n- like near that amount in a two-year span. Tyler Lockett had a great year this year, but even Tyler Lockett's not re- like red zone touchdowns. I'll venture 80% of Jimmy Graham's touchdowns here were red zone, yeah. if not more. And so that tells that tells you right now that Russell – knows how to use a big receiver. At least he figured it out after a year of Graham. And on top of that, any time he's had like big bodied receivers, he's done well with them. Chris Matthews, is, I mean, he was the aberration in the Super Bowl, but that was a big target. And wow, it was weird how Russell just hucking it up deep to a jump ball guy worked a whole lot when Chris Matthews was six five. Yeah. So I'd, I would really, I, it would be really exciting to see the Hawks bring in a wide receiver and have it be a big bodied guy that's going to make an impact.
0: Yeah, and when you invest $140 million into your franchise QB, it would be, a, you know, a just it, it just wouldn't be right if you did not at least attempt to put some weapons. And d- know, build, like, this
1: offensive fortress around him. You've now committed to this guy twice. Yeah, He's won a Super Bowl for you. You've committed to him twice. You tried building up the defense and keeping the defense to have that carry you. Obviously, that didn't age well. Now maybe we see him beef up the offense. We've already seen him realize their mistakes in the O-line and we see them cutting costs and the defensive back range. So there's absolutely no reason to think why the Seahawks wouldn't be kind of shifting towards Russell Wilson's help
0: basically. Yeah. And that's with, uh, with Russell Wilson and a big target, I feel like the Seahawks offense now turns from a, uh, just a, a running machine into almost a two headed monster and that's and then that would be you know best case scenario you have a passing game that people have to commit to and then you're able to you know just just destroy them up front because you have a bunch of mauling run blockers so it would be it would be awesome i think that that would be really cool to see the Seahawks actually focus on offense for once and just let their their youth and you know their their young unproven defensive backs kind of find their own and so, you know, maybe maybe give up a little bit more points, but but score a hell of a lot more.
1: You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's funny you said that after we had the highest scoring offense in season like Seahawks history, um, and I, I guess kind of the last thing I'll say on just this whole aspect of speculation that we've dived deep into <laughs> here, um, it's not like John Schneider and P Carroll haven't tried. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. They had Senior Saneari's concussions gone. They had Percy Harvin. Percy Harvin, no. They had Jimmy Graham. Jim Darren didn't work out. It's not like they haven't been trying. They just haven't done a good job. Yeah, they've they've messed up multiple times, and so from that, maybe they this this is where they learn. This is where they, instead of looking out for a gadget receiver that's gonna change the game like Percy Harvin, or instead of looking for. A tight end, that, which I think our tight end class as young's is actually is going to be pretty good mm-hmm. moving forward with development. But instead of a tight end, that's a superhuman athlete that was a freak on the on one of the best offenses in NFL history with the Saints and one of the best, most efficient quarterbacks in the world. Instead of trying to take someone else's success, I would really like to see the Seahawks draft a good receiver, big receiver that they take and evolve into. A dude that can take a double coverage not from the slot like Doug a dude that can actually take the top off the defense without ever getting more than six inches of separation and while Doug and Tyler have been able to do that you still have to get fortunate Russell has to make perfect throws put Alshon Jeffrey on the Seahawks Alshon Jeffrey's catching 12 touchdowns and the way that he played with Nick Foles probably a thousand yards yeah. like and And I guess that is a little me of going after someone else's success, but Alshon Jeffries, a big bodied receiver that just isn't really special in any other aspect other than his ability to run, jump up and catch the ball. And if that's I mean, that seems like it's all that Russell is missing from like having that elite offensive piece, especially if you were to retain a healthy Doug, a Tyler and then a big bodied guy. It would, it would, just like you said, it'd be a two-headed monster, something you, you don't have to look out for Russell Wilson just scrambling around and taking the top off with a perfect throw. Now you have to wrestle, worry about all three of Russell Wilson's wide receivers being able to take the top off your defense. And on top of that, you have to get ready to get punched in the mouth by Chris Carson and then get ready for a 40-yard dance around LaShawn McCoy from a 240-pound Rashad Penny run. It... it it could turn our offense into just something that really hasn't been seen with a level of balance in run and, and passing with the efficiency of Russell. Um, and so I'd like to see the Seahawks invest in it in the draft. And whether it's late and just a big-bodied guy that that maybe they just found. Maybe they just found one of those dudes, one of those hidden gems, and he becomes that guy. Great. I think they're going to have to invest earlier to do it. And I kind of hope they do. I mean, the, the more we talk about it, we go on every different little possible draft idea and way it could go. But I would I would not be mad with the Seahawks taking an edge rusher or a wide receiver higher up in the rounds.
0: Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think that investing really round talent on a big body wide receiver is not something that we've done. And it would be, you know, really cool to see it because I mean, you just imagine DK Metcalf. Catching deep balls from Russell Wilson. And it just. Well, that's a. a DK Metcalf (laughs) is like the
1: next. Like the closest thing to a Calvin Johnson that we've seen since Calvin Johnson. So I. If the Seahawks ended up with DK Metcalf, I would. I would freak out and immediately go buy a DK Metcalf
0: jersey. 100%. I would have a jersey as soon as possible. I'm absolutely on the DK Metcalf bandwagon. (laughs) And I just. I've been having dreams of Russell Wilson throwing touchdown passes to him over two defenders. But.
1: I mean, it'd be like adding Julio Jones um, or (laughs) just in general, just an elite receiver. I mean, like as we kind of transition here into from the offseason to the regular season, I talk about another offense, a lot of other offenses that we're going to face this coming year. I think there's a few matchups in particular that we want to point out. And one of them features one of those game changing wide receivers that we would love to see the Seahawks
0: add. Uh, But Aiden, I'll kind of let you take it away. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, me and you were pretty spot on with our, you know, big matchups that we're excited for this upcoming season, and uh, the first one coming uh, with the Saints, week three at home. Uh, the Saints, you know, just uh, just missed a Super Bowl berth. <laughs> just got robbed of a Super yeah. Bowl berth. Big, uh, you know, with the big controversial call, I think that the Saints come back hungry. I think that they come back better, and I think that Drew Brees and Michael Thomas are going to put up big-time numbers this year once again. And that, Against our secondary? I don't, I don't know yes. about our secondary. I mean, you'd hope not. I mean, I would expect... Hopefully we keep Frank and then uh, we can put a little pressure on Drew Brees. Right. I mean, Drew Brees did not look too hot under pressure at the end of that uh, NFC Championship game. But, he did
1: not. But Michael Thomas is a freak. I I, I I think he's one of the best wide receivers in the league now.
0: I agree with you. And, I mean, it's that'll be it, an early test. Week three 100%. against the Saints, and I think that that's cool. That we're going to face a high-powered offense. Week three, it'll really it'll really show us where we are at as as a defense because absolutely a lot of question marks with the young secondary, how guys are going to fit in. Uh, Akeem King coming in as the nickel, assu- I mean, assuming that's what John yeah. and Pete have been saying. So it'll be interesting. Hopefully, Shaq Griffin's able to take that next step, and I think finally, yeah, I think week three will be a big telltale sign on how the defense is going to look for yeah, the season.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, I, you kind of mentioned their Super Bowl caliber team. They almost made it last year. Uh, I, in my notes, I have written down tone setting game and it's, that's what it is. We're facing a high powered offense week three, right off the bat. And I mean, we kind of excluded divisional games for this just because divisional games are always exciting. Um, but this is the best team that we're going to see outside of the Rams this year, probably. I mean, obviously We have to wait and see how the season pans out. I mean, some teams could roll around and be way better than we're expecting. But when you look at the schedule, this is probably the best team outside of the Rams that we're going to play. It's at home. We established ourselves as a comeback turnaround team that made the playoffs last year. We kept our guys. We did whatever we're going to do in the draft and up to that. This is where we set the tone for this this is either going to be just another playoff year where we maybe lose or we squeak out a tight win. Or we do what we did to the Saints back when we won the Super Bowl and boat race them and set the tone for, like, hey, this isn't just an okay defense and a running team. This is an elite offensive and defensive team that's going to take it to you. And hopefully we benefit from home. And, I mean, I I don't particularly see a blowout. Um, I think the Seahawks would have to have a lot of things go right through this draft and upcoming process for something like that. But I do see the Seahawks taking this game and in kind of substantial fashion where, Maybe it's, it's not going to be a comeback. I, I see the Seahawks doing, like, just kind of controlling the game with their running game, and they do exactly what they did last year, where they get up a couple scores and kind of punch the Saints in the mouth and say, get back up or you just lost to us, basically. And I, I mean, I, you got to always be excited for those kind of games, and especially when they're two elite teams and two elite quarterbacks. A matchup of Russell Wilson and Drew Brees, the two five foot 11ers balling out and taking the league by storm. Uh, it's
0: definitely going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah. Uh, like you said, you know, it's it, it'll it'll really be a tone setter, I think, for the entire season. I think that whether we start zero and two, one and one, or two, or, you know, two and zero, whatever, it's it, it'll be a game that will really change. That if we the whole dynamic, right? Yeah, if, if you come up with a big win against the Saints in Week Three that changes your momentum. You're hot. I think you... we play the Rams right after that. Yeah, too. And so that's, I, I think absolutely the Seahawks are going to match up well against the Rams way better than people think. I think the Seahawks well, are going to match up well against them. Right. Last year. Exactly. And I think that that group kind of gelling and
1: getting better is, I mean, it's really only going to help. I mean, the Seahawks didn't lose a ton and I, I don't know. I like the team going forward and it's, there's still obviously a lot to go as we're doing this
0: very, very early yeah. enticing matchup preview. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, What's another matchup we're, uh, we're looking at is, is week six at Cleveland against the Browns. You know, the new face Browns brought in OBJ, uh, Baker has been just, you know, talking a little bit. He's ready for the season. I think that the, the Browns are going to be a, they're going to be an exciting team to watch. You would th- hope, I mean, you, you hope that they're able to take that next step, not against the Seahawks, of course, <laughs> but you hope that as a whole, the Browns take that next step and really. You know, use the, all those young pieces that they have to to really become, you know, something. Because, you know, I'm a, I'm rooting for Cleveland. I, I think that it's... it's I think it's,
1: everybody's rooting for Cleveland. I mean, to be as bad as you were for that long, to have jokes of jerseys that are 40 quarterback names long, I think everybody's pulling for Cleveland.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think that the Seahawks, that'll be a cool matchup because Russell Wilson, Baker Mayfield... Both similar in play style, not necessarily in um, off the field or on the field behavior, but
1: yeah, they're similar in play style and size. And right. Yeah. It'll be I a mean, Baker Mayfield's high draft position can easily be attributed to Russ's success. Yep. Just like Russ's Russ even going in the third was probably attributed to hey Drew Brees did it. Mm-hmm. This guy's not that far off. So, I mean, it's a little at least in that regard the quarterback matchups it's completely a gauntlet game i mean it's is russell wilson going to come in punch this rookie quarterback down and say hey i'm still the dude uh or is baker going to kind of try and take the reins as his cleveland brown team tries to take the league by storm basically after finishing eight seven and one last year but definitely a, a cool matchup i think that'll be a really fun one to watch super exciting I mean, and even if, even if OBJ torches us and, and it it's on the road, I quite frankly, I, I kind of see the Seahawks losing this one, not necessarily because Russell is going to get outperformed by Baker, but just because it's on the road. And I think that this young Cleveland team, they were good on defense last year. Mm-hmm. They were, they struggled on offense until Baker came in and Freddie Kitchens took over then all of a sudden they won like eight, they won like 7 games You're right and lost i think 3 and tied one or no the tie was early they lost they lost 3 or 4 in like the second half and at, it's it, at the very least it's going to be an exciting matchup and i think we still got to kind of wait and see how the seahawks offensive identity is going to unfold as we see if they really if they're going to stay committed to this run it 60 times a game or are they going to open it up a little more for Russ and see that maybe he can do maybe he can be just as efficient with some more
0: volume which i think that he can yeah i know i'm i'm pumped to watch seahawks take on the browns be, it'll be it'll be crazy it, it, i think that it it'll be a low scoring event i have i have a weird feeling that yeah, that this one is going to be a a low scoring affair a typical an old style seahawks yeah. game yeah. i i could see it i don't necessarily i
1: i don't necessarily see it happening i think that these offenses i I don't think the Seahawks' defense at this point in time is going to be able to contain that that offense with... I mean, they won't have Kareem Hunt back yet, but with Nick Chubb, still have Duke Johnson, they have Juice, OBJ, Antonio Callaway was their number two last year. tons of talent, but struggled with drops. Maybe he kicks around. And Joku, mm-hmm. that is a ton of offensive talent. And a quarterback that a lot of people believe, myself included, is preparing to enter the upper echelon of quarterbacks. I mean, obviously he's still young, but, I mean, it's it, it's exciting, and it's going to be a high-powered offense, and I think that's where the Browns are going to really kind of try and take it to this younger Seahawks defense. But I, in that same breath, I think that's where Russ and the new offense keep up with him. And if the Seahawks win, I see him pulling out kind of almost, not necessarily as crazy as the Texans game a couple years back, but some higher scoring, 31-27 affair, 28, and it's on a field goal.
0: Okay, that... I'd like to see a shootout in Cleveland. That that'd be fun. I, I, you know, that's what I'm shooting for at yeah. this
1: point. I, on the road, I'm not gonna hurt our defense for getting torched by somebody with that many weapons. And either way, it's gonna be a really fun game to watch. Unless, of course, Cleveland comes out and totally
0: Cleveland's it and sucks this year. <laughs> well, if uh, if the Seahawks do take the L as you are predicting in week six, uh, week seven is our third matchup that we are excited to see and that's the Ravens at at home in Seattle and the return of our old friend Earl Thomas something that is definitely going to be anticipated by people who love Earl Thomas as well as people who who absolutely hate him now and I think that the Seahawks fan community is very divided at this point in time. Uh, you know, Earl came out after the fact and said that he sees himself signing a, uh, a re- like a retirement contract, you know, like a one day deal to retire as a Seahawk because he he's and, and I thought that was kind of a surprise, you know, it was definitely a surprise. I mean, I really appreciated it, but it
1: was not what I thought that his <laughs> thoughts leaving this franchise was at all.
0: Right. And it'll be a, an interesting matchup regardless of the Earl Thomas thing, because you have Lamar Jackson taking over he, he has all the reins he is their quarterback going into the year and i'm you know I, i'm curious to see how the league will adjust to lamar jackson because a lot of his success was just because he was you know i mean he was doing things that people just weren't doing and weren't expecting he was right. a gadget
1: quarterback that benefited from the ravens running it 40 times in a variety of different ways but at the same time i don't i i I like Lamar personally. I know some, some people I know don't like Lamar. They don't think he's going to ever develop into a passer. I hope he does. And I think that with an off season, I hope with an off season of work, he's developed his passing chops a little more because I think the Ravens can still run the same style of offense. You just have to let Lamar throw it 30 times a game instead of 25, right. instead of 22. Like, and I, I, I could see that happening. I could see with the weapons around him that I mark Ingram. Um, they have a good offensive line. They're ground and pound. I'd, It's, I mean, (laughs) I talk ground and pound. They're a mirror image of the Seahawks. Basically those two teams ran the ball for the most yards and most times the second half of the season and Seahawks all season. And the, that Russ Lamar matchup just to see how Lamar will handle century link. Don't think it'll be well, (laughs) but at the same time you get to see an explosive young quarterback. It was awesome. When we got to see Wentz come in, it was awesome when we got to see uh, Deshaun Watson come in a few years back at so at the very least, you get to see a young, exciting quarterback in Seattle. And on top of that, it's that great, great return of Earl Thomas that we'll see how it gets received. I mean, I think there's going to be a little more love than hate just because of the way he finally was like, hey, I made my family there. I won our championship there. Like, I I love Seattle. It just didn't work out, which is the way I'm just going to view it because I do like Earl. We talk about it all the time. Earl is like one of our favorite players here, and it just it sucked that it ended that way. But it'll be good to see him again. Um, hopefully not picking off Russell Wilson. That would be a sight I really do not want to see. Um, But at the very least, it's going to be an awesome defensive battle. Um, And hopefully the Seahawks punish Lamar.
0: Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't... I think the Seahawks come away with a win in this game. I don't think there's... I don't think there's... Even right now, these
1: are all early predictions. My Browns prediction could look stupid when we... I'll change it probably before the game. But... I think the Seahawks are a better team on paper than the Ravens. And I think that they're just a team that does exactly what Like, I, I feel like the Ravens essentially copied the Seahawks halfway last year. And we're like, Hey, we got a running quarterback. We can do this. We can do a yeah. little more. I feel like the Seahawks do that,
0: but better. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think that the Ravens have taken, you know, stuff from the Seahawks for three years. Now you've seen guys go from Seattle to Baltimore and have success like, uh, Justin Forsett, um, uh, Alex Collins. Alex Collins. Yeah, a guy that was a seventh round pick, late round find for the Seahawks. But just you know, didn't. Alex Collins is always good. He, like he
1: always right. made plays here. But that dude fumbled like every other carry, and it was like that sucks that
0: he picked up eight yards and then lost the ball. <laughs> yeah, but he was he was a guy that yeah you're like like you said he he had you know minus the fumbles he was he was a good player here. Yeah, but uh, just kept, didn't really fit. You know, he, he didn't really have a a spot where he could really get into a groove in our offense. So let him go. But yeah, I think that the Seahawks come away with a win here in week seven. I think that we match up well on paper. Um, the, uh, Suggs and Smith being off the Baltimore Ravens D-line does not help them. C.J. Mosley being gone doesn't help them. I think that they, with Earl Thomas, got better in the secondary. I think that they they do have a good secondary. Your
1: secondary gets worse when your pass rush gets worse. I mean, we saw it whenever the Seahawks would miss Michael Bennett or Cliff Averill for injury. The pass rush would suffer, and then, weird, the Seahawks Seahawks would give up yards. In the Super Bowl, even, Mm -hmm. against Tom Brady. We're dominating Tom Brady for three straight quarters. Cliff Averill went out. He throws for like three hundred yards and the comeback in the fourth, and so I, pass rush is huge. And while Earl Thomas is the best center fielder and best safety in football, we've seen it right in front of our eyes that sacrificing pass rush doesn't make up. You can't make up for losing pass rush with an with one or with one elite secondary guy. Because that's really all Baltimore. Has in terms of like elite elite talent,
0: right? You got Tony Jefferson as the strong safety, and he 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 looked okay last year. Good, I, I, he got I, better.
1: Bradley McDougal kind of level. I, mean, I honestly would say Bradley's a little better just because of his
0: versatility. Yep.
1: But Tony Jefferson's right around there. He's a good player, yeah, that you like to have on your team, but he's not upper echelon.
0: Exactly. I think that not having pass rush will ultimately hurt Baltimore. I think that Rus- done Russell, especially will... on the road. Yeah, I I, th- I think that Russell dominates the ravens that game i think that it's you know kind of a i think it's, <laughs> i i could see slug it out early and then i can see the seahawks going away at the over. end yeah but d- definitely a cool matchup because of the earl thomas factor i love you earl i miss you every day we'll miss you forever earl until you <laughs> sign your one day retiring contract my brother and then i will miss you again after that one day
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh. But yeah, those are those are our matchups going into the year that we're excited to see. Obviously, the Rams matchups are going to be exciting ones as well. But you know, th- these ones are something fresh out of the division, not your you know typical every single year matchups. So, but it's going to be a fun year. It's going to be weird to see how this uh, the draft shakes out. Still a
1: long, long, right. long way to go before any of this. I mean, like I said, all all prediction we've made here could look stupid yep. come week one come week three come week six come week seven when these games actually happen
0: but that's why we're doing it because it's it's early and russell wilson's signing got us a little excited had to uh talk some hawks i mean there's a lot going on and i think that there's uh there there's there's a little momentum i think that the seahawks will carry off this signing i think that they they uh this really opens up i mean they have quarterback settled and for four years and you right. have
1: it with a Hall of Fame guy and I I think you're saying it exactly right. It's it's that it's that first step. Yep. Because you couldn't sign Bobby until you trade or sign Russ. You couldn't sign Frank until you trade or sign Russ. Like you couldn't really do anything until you know if you're moving forward with a franchise QB for five years or if you're moving forward like, wow, let's cross our fingers and hope we can get somebody good.
0: Yeah. And this yeah, getting your quarterback dialed in, getting that one out of the way. I mean Russell essentially did the Seahawks a favor by setting an early deadline because Absolutely.
1: especially how long it took them to get their last deal done yeah. um right up till training camp I mean they talked about how both Schneider and Mark Rogers didn't want it to go that long again and so they set the early deadline and I think it's the best thing that could have happened for the Hawks here because it either it, it just put everything in motion like it was going to be a signing or it was going to be a trade and we were going to move on
0: yeah exactly Anything else that you uh, you got in your mind about the Seahawks?
1: Ah, uh, you know, not right now. Has this big red bringing you all the thoughts, conspiracies, and every little bit of speculation I possibly can. <laughs> uh, as Sierra would say,
0: "Go Hawks!" Exactly, go Hawks! Babe. as Sierra would say, "Go Hawks!" <laughs> uh, stay tuned. Uh, we're gonna keep you updated on the Bobby Wagner situation, Frank Clark. Uh, we'll, we'll stay up to date. Any, any news, any, you know, talks about that. We'll bring it to you guys. It's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting little period here to see how it shakes out. But I uh, expect Bobby Wagner to be back and we'll see what happens with Frank Clark. But, uh, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. Thanks for joining another episode of Hawk Talk with Big Red. Big Red, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Once again, thanks for having me. Um, Last thing, shout out the Ant Big Red vs. the World. Uh, If you haven't subscribed or give it a listen, go go check it
0: out. You get to hear more of Big Red's beautiful voice. All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll be back at you with another Hawk Talk here pretty shortly.